0: Welcome, everybody. Hey, just want to give you a, a, just a, a, a slight challenge. You know, this morning when we started, man, only it's a few people here. Try to get here on time so you can hear what's happening with the announcements, what's happening with our vision, where we're headed. And don't miss a single thing every week. Try to get here, get your kids over and to see kids, because they're going to have a great time over there, and they're, they're well looked after, they're secure over there. And just come on and be with us, try to start with us on time. And I'm so glad that you're here for week four of our series, What If? We're looking at chapter 11 of Hebrews. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there. Hebrews 11, we're going to be in ver- one verse there this morning. Then we're going to go to Genesis. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, in just a minute. So we're ans- asking the question, what if? That's the name of our series. What if, and the, th- the premise behind all of chapter seven, uh, all of chapter 11 of Hebrews is about what happens... When people really believe God, no matter what he says, they believe him. And because they believe him, the spirit of God produces acts of obedience in their life. Now, I want to clear something up again for those of you who weren't here the first week, because a lot of people give the order of things backwards. Uh, If you are depending on your own goodness, your own works, and this morning we're going to talk, talk about working by faith, If you're dependent on your own goodness, your own working to get to heaven, your good deeds, your giving of money, your kind acts to people, you will never make it. God says it's not by works of righteousness which we have done that all of our righteousnesses are as what, folks? Filthy rags. Those of you who know the Bible, if you you don't know that passage, the Bible says everything we try to do on our own apart from God and believing him is like a filthy Puss filled rag. Really, that's literally the idea behind that passage. And so, until every one of us comes to the place in our life, until we come to the place where we are absolutely, totally aware that we are unable to save ourselves, we cannot be saved. A person has to get lost first before they can be saved. And so this morning we're going to talk about works, but the first week we talked about the order, that all of the heroes of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, they did something, but that's not what God commended them for. What he commended them for is that they believed him, and because they believed him, that God did a work in their life through them, and they had the order right. So it's faith, believing God no matter what, then God produces works from our life not to try to earn his favor, but because we've trusted his grace and we trust him fully to save us. And because of his grace and we've believed him by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. That's what all these people are commented about on in Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, God did something through them. So there's faith and there's works and there's reward. And we said the first week, the order is critical. Faith works reward. If you're trying to work your way into favor with God, it'll never happen. It can only happen by his grace through faith. So now that we got that out of the way, Hebrews chapter 11, verse seven, I want to ask you a couple of questions just before we read that passage this morning. As long as we're understanding faith works reward, faith works reward. Say it with me. Faith works reward. Faith works reward. Most of the world has this order out of place. And until you get it in right order, you cannot be saved. You cannot know God. Now, we're going to read about Noah this morning. What did Noah do? He built a, a boat. If you're in the Navy, you'd say a ship, right? Built a ship. It was really more like a ship than a boat. All right. Now, he was a man of faith. He believed God. Now, let me ask you a question. What if Noah, when God spoke to him about the flood that was going to come nobody had ever seen a flood the bible says in genesis that it never even rained on the earth but a mist came up from the ground and watered the planet last week i mentioned that the reason people live to be so old like noah and others methuselah is because i believe that a canopy surrounded the earth because the bible talks about the waters that were underneath the earth broke up the, the fountains of the deep broke up and the bible the scientists tell us today that there's enough water underneath the surface of the earth, to cover the planet. The waters that were above the earth fell down. They caved in. And this, I didn't say it was a theory last week. It's a theory, okay? Nobody was there to prove it. But the Bible seems to indicate that there was this climate that was controlled by this canopy around the earth. And when it caved in, the world was covered And the mountains shot up later, all the pressure of that water, the tectonic plates underneath the earth, they broke. And Mount Everest shot up to uh, the height of a jet plane. It didn't used to be that big. Uh, It didn't used to be that high. And God did a great work. And the flood explains a lot of things on the earth about the apparent age of the earth. So, what if when God spoke to Noah about a flood that he'd never seen, to build a boat that he'd never seen, couldn't even hardly envision it. How do you envision something you've never even seen or, or seen work? What if when God spoke to Noah about this flood, about this coming judgment, about this ship, that Noah said he believed, but he never picked up a hammer? He never saw down the first tree. He never built a boat. And on the count of three, I want you to all tell me what would have happened to Noah and his family. One. Some of you can't count to Three. Okay, Okay. on the count of jump, no, one, two, three, they would have drowned. They would have perished because the Bible says faith without works is dead. Now, you got to get the order right. you got to believe God. You're not going to work to gain God's favor. By God's grace, his unmerited favor, we believe what he said, and then we act upon it because the Holy Spirit's working through us to carry out His desires. So if we say that we have faith, but there's no works coming out of our life, no fruit coming out to show that, the Bible says that kind of faith is dead. It's useless because faith works. Faith works. Now, I was thinking last night, I was laying in bed trying to think through this message, and faith works. If you get the order right, faith works reward. Faith works reward. Faith works. But if you change the order, works do not work for salvation works do not work faith works but works do not work they'll never get you before god so we've got that clear so they would have drowned noah would have drowned his family would have drowned they would have perished now here's a question i want to ask you because noah had a decision to make and the question i want to ask you this morning is this am i more afraid of obedience or of judgment Now, you say, well, that seems pretty obvious. I mean, everybody's afraid of judgment. But I submit to you that probably most people in the world, because they have the order, faith, works, reward, because they have it wrong, most people are afraid of God. You know, I'll never surrender to God because he might make me a missionary and send me to Africa. He might send me someplace I'm going to be miserable. And many people, and I believe some of you this morning, are really afraid of full surrender that we sang about this morning because... You're afraid because you don't know God well. You don't know his character that well. Because if you did, you wouldn't be afraid of that. You're afraid of what will happen if you obey completely by faith. You're afraid what that might mean for you. In fact, I had a a child of mine years ago. My kids were growing up and one of my children said this. I'm afraid of what I will miss if I follow God. Now, that that person was very honest. Most of us wouldn't say that out loud, but most of us have thought it. If I follow God, then I'm going to give up premarital sex because God says one man, one woman, one lifetime in marriage. I'm afraid that if I follow God, maybe I won't have all the riches that I really see myself having someday. I'm afraid if I really surrender, that full sweet surrender that we sang about, I'm afraid if I fully surrender to God, he's going to take my life and manipulate me and make me miserable. Are you more afraid of obedience, what it means, what it costs to follow God? Or are you more of afraid of judgment? Think about that for a minute. As you turn to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. Hebrews 11 verse seven, here a man was asked to do a task that was humanly seemingly impossible. In Hebrews 11:7, we read about him, "By faith, Noah, being warned by God, are you afraid of obedience or of judgment? Obedience or judgment? By faith, Noah being warned of God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world because he preached for 120 years and nobody believed, and so they faced their judgment because they'd heard the truth. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Faith, righteousness, and then God produces works in your life and brings reward. By faith... Noah, being warned concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent sphere, constructed an ark. Now, Noah had things to do. Noah had his to-do list. Noah had his priority list. Noah had his own life before God spoke to him about a life-consuming task. Noah had plants he wanted to Plant, and he had people he wanted to communicate with. He had relationships he needed to work on. He had all of these things, just like you and me. When God comes to us and says, believe me, and if you do, I've got something I'm going to send you to do, Noah had things to do, like you and me. What is it that God's asking you to do today that you feel like you don't really have time to do? Here's a question. next question I want to ask you, and I want you to think about this the rest of this message. What if, this message, this series is all about what if. What if I was more concerned with God's plans than my own? Imagine with me, what if I was more concerned about God's will and his plans for my life than the the little plans that I'm making? What would happen? What would happen to me? What would happen to my my wife and my children? What would happen to our church if we for a minute said, God, here's my life and here's my plans. But Lord, I know that you're the God of the universe and I believe you. And so here's, here's here's what we're asking you to do this morning. God, take my plans. In faith, I give them to you. And I say, God, I will do In faith, by your grace, whatever you ask me to do. Some of you are really terrified by that thought. What if God asked my children to become missionaries or my grandchildren to be missionaries? What if God asked me, which He's already done, by the way, to forgive that person I've been bitter at for so long? What if I was more concerned with God's plans than my own? What would happen? Ephesians chapter 4 verse 10 says this, we, that's God's people, God's children, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Today we're talking about good works, not to save us, but because we're saved by his grace, because we believe him, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What does that tell me? That tells me that before the foundation of the earth, God had a plan for you that's way bigger than your plan. He had a plan for your life that what if, really, I believed him fully and I said, I'm going to walk in your plan, God, no matter what the cost. What would happen? We are his workmanship. Uh, The interesting wording there is, in Greek, that word workmanship is poema. It means poem. You're God's poem. You're God's masterpiece. And he wants to do something great in your life. But just like we sang this morning, the grace of God is first. And through that grace, we believe in him. And we have this beautiful surrender to him that whatever you say to me, please do it. Uh, Brian, could, uh, um, <coughs> Quinn, could you give me a glass of water? I'm just really suffering this morning. I drank some before, but um, I shouldn't have mixed anything in with it. No, I'm just kidding. You don't drink, never have, never touched it. All right. We are his workmanship. We are his poem. What is it that God wants to write in your life? How can it be so different from the poem that you're writing? Now we go to Genesis chapter 6. And just before we go there, here's the first thing I want you to remember this morning. My faith is invisible until my works bring it into sight. That's what the Bible teaches Faith is the substance of things unseen, the evidence of things hoped for. It's substantive. It's evidence. Thank you so much, Quentin. Thank you. My faith is invisible until my works bring it to light. James says, faith without works is dead. Because he's, And he says, he, he says humorously, James says, okay, you, we both say we have faith. You show me your faith without your works. And I'll show you my faith by my works. How do you show faith without works? It's impossible. It's intrinsic. It's inside of you. It's built in. There's something in your mind, in your head, in your th- thoughts, in your heart. But if it doesn't translate into the way that you live your life, it's no good for anything. Faith without works is dead. My faith is invisible until my works bring it into light. Like Noah, if we say we believe God, but we don't do what he says, do we really believe God? The answer from Scripture is no. So now Genesis chapter 6, we get to this passage where the earth is so wicked and God decides to do something that we can't even hardly imagine. And these little paintings and drawings that we put in nurseries of this little cute little boat and the cute little animals filing in, It doesn't depict at all what really happened. The whole earth was judged by a flood and everybody but eight people perished in the waters. Genesis chapter 6 verse 15 verse 5 says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Does that sound like today? Does it sound like today? The wickedness of man is great in the earth. And every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Does that sound like today? The Lord regretted. Wow, this this verse blows me away. It made him sad. The Lord regretted. It made him sad. It broke his heart that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. God is saddened by man's rebellion against him grieved him to his heart. Verse seven. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I've created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. For I am sorry, I'm sad. That's another way of saying, I'm sorry. I'm sad that I've made them. But now here's the first real Recording of the word grace in the Bible in some translations. Here it says Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Favor is grace. Some translations say grace. Noah found grace. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Grace. It all starts with His amazing grace that we sing about. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man. That doesn't mean he was perfect. It means he believed God, and his faith was counted for righteousness. He was a righteous man. He was blameless in his generation. Blameless doesn't mean perfect. It means he lived his life and he demonstrated his faith by his works. Noah walked with God. Talked about Enoch last week, a man who walked with God so closely. One day God just took him on home to heaven, ratcheted him. A picture of what's going to happen to some people when Jesus comes back again. Noah walked with God. In verse 10, Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth was corrupt. It was vile in God's sight. And the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh. For the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch like a tar type substance. This is how you were to make it. The length of the ark is 300 cubits. Its breadth is 50 cubits. Its height 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the door in the ark on its side. Make it with lower second and third decks. Three decks on board. For behold, verse 17, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die, but I will establish my covenant with you. And you shall come into the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. Noah, verse 22 now, let's skip down to verse 22. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Would you pray with me? God, sometimes we are afraid of obedience because really, Lord, we just don't know you well. If we knew you well, Lord, we would know that your plan for us is far greater, far more joyful, though filled with trials, than a life without you. I pray that, Lord, every one of us, starting with me, would go from this room today determined by your grace through faith to do the work that you've called us to do and to look to you for the reward. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So he built this ship 150 feet long. Uh, For some of you who are like my wife and are are worthless on distances, my, my daughter Rosie and I joined the Y. And so there's the town Y, and then the, uh, which is the expressway, and then there's a one out a little bit further out near, Nick, near Dixie Donuts, which is an interesting placement yeah. of a gym. She was telling Ro, Rosie was talking about how to get back and forth and so forth and Joanne said, well, that's like 20 miles from our house, which we live right in town. She has no concept of distance, all right so if you have no concept of size and space, this Boat. The ship was 150 feet long. That's one and a half football fields long. It was, it was 75 feet wide. A football field, I think, is about 40 or 50 feet wide. So it's three quarters of the length of a football field wide. Uh, and then 45 feet high, almost five stories high. It had 1.3 million cubic feet of volume. Shipmakers today tell us that that structure was very seaworthy and stable. It wasn't built for speed. It was built for stability. It was built big enough to house as many people that would come to God by faith. It was big enough to house two of every clean animal and seven of the unclean animals that would have enough food on board and enough to preserve the animals. (coughs) After he spent 120 years building it, spent 377 days on board ship how many of you been, were in the navy raise your hand anybody in the navy i mean i can't you go on a ship it's one thing you go on a submarine you ever been in a nuclear sub i mean the, the tightness of those quarters well can you imagine being on an ark through 377 days with all those animals and all the things that animals do on board that ship I think that's one reason Noah in his sin afterwards went out and had a little bit too much to drink after he planted his first vineyard. He was de-stressing the wrong way. 377 days on board the ship. But we gloss over that story and we think, oh, how cute. Noah, Noah built a boat 120 years. We complain because we have to get to church at 1030 in the morning. We complain because we have to work hard at a job for maybe 30, 40 years and then retire, and we we have a job in the air conditioning, a cushy job. Uh, Maybe it's not so hard physically. For 120 years, Noah had to experience the hard, hard labor that some of you are involved in building and rebuilding and shaping homes and reshaping homes without power tools. The first greatest act of faith was cutting down the first gopher tree. He said, make it of gopher wood. He had to cut down all these trees by hand. Now, we believe also a theory that guys were bigger than them. We read about Nephilim in the Bible and these giants in the Bible. We believe because of the richness of the oxygen in the universe and the, the quality of life that probably people were a lot bigger and stronger. They were at the deep end of the gene pool, and they were big, strong guys. But for 120 years, they took hand saws and sawed down trees enough to make a vessel with 1.3 million cubic feet of volume. Hard, intense labor. Kind of brings into perspective the things God's asking us to do. Makes them seem not so big, hey? But Noah lived every day of his life from that time forward, believing God for something he had never seen and taking his hands and building something that he'd never experienced before because he simply believed God's word. The first thing we said to you to write down this morning is my faith is invisible until my works bring it into light. Now I want you to, to write this down. My faith works in response to God's word. My faith works in response to God's word. What did Noah have? Now, he didn't have a church like we have today. He didn't have a a, a lot of believers even, because after 120 years of preaching, still only his family came on board, which makes me wonder about the quality of Noah's preaching. No, I'm just kidding. 120 years of preaching, not one convert. So, people were ridiculing him and mocking him. What are you building, Noah? Oh, I'm building a boat. What's a boat? Well, it's it's something that floats on the water, a big body of water. What's a big body of water? Well, was a flood never seen a flood and they mocked and they jeered and they scolded him and they laughed at him for 120 years but he kept on building kept picking up his tools every day and going to the office to work and to build the boat all he had was and he didn't have a church full of people that love him he didn't have pastors that love and care for him he didn't have he didn't have the modern conveniences of the day he only had God's word my faith works in response to God's word. My faith is invisible and to God's brings it into sight, and to works bring it into sight, and my faith works in ref, response to God's word. The Bible says he worked in reverence. That means with great respect and awe. Another way to say it is he feared God. He feared not walking with God, he feared judgment, he feared not obeying God more than anything, because he loved God, and he trusted God, but all he had was God's word, and in reverence, and great respect, and all, for 120 years, he built his ark, he trusted God's atoning sacrifice, we talked about that with Abel's sacrifice, he had to bring a lamb, a blood sacrifice, people laugh at us today, when we talk about the blood of Christ, being able to cleanse us from all sin, well, they laughed at Noah, on the same day, and he, he trusted in God's atoning sacrifice, you know, pitch, pitch that tar that he used to fill the gaps and cracks and it's kind of like a modern day I guess um, silicone you know for water and so he sealed the cracks in the ark with this for 120 years you know pitch has the same root word in Hebrew as redemption like the pitch kept the judgment waters out of the ark and allowed them to to be buoyed above the water and to, to experience salvation, so the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, keeps the judgment waters out of our life. Do you know him? Do you trust him? Noah trusted him no matter what. And he did all that God said. My faith works in response to God's word in reverence, with respect and awe, in trusting his atoning sacrifice like pitch was to the boat, Jesus Christ's atonement is to us and doing all that God said. Now, the evidence for the flood is absolutely overwhelming. Around the world and all continents, there there are universal flood stories. And they vary in degree of accuracy with what the Bible has to say. But there's over 270 global stories about the flood from all places around the earth. Even if you look at the fossil record and the geologic record and things like I mentioned last week uh, that the Colorado River, again, a theory, the Colorado River did not cut the Grand Canyon, but the flood in Noah's day caused that to happen. Geologically, there's reason, but you know, if you have your Bibles, just keep your finger here a minute and turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. You know, in, in Romans, we learned when we went through the book of Romans, and if you haven't gone through that, go, go look at it online and go through the book of Romans. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. We read this. Let's go back to verse 4. They will say, this is talking about in the last days, before Jesus comes back to judge the earth by fire this time, not by flood. They will say in the last stage, where's the promise of his coming? For ever since the followers fell asleep, all are continue, all things continuing, as it were from the beginning of creation. That's called uniformitarian geo- geology. In other words, things are all decaying at the same rate they always have, and every, you know, we're just basing everything in our scientific realm of being repeatable, observable, and all of that. It says that people say the the same rate of decay and so forth has occurred from the beginning of creation. Now, look at what it says in verse 5, because Romans says that man knows God, but he suppresses the truth of God, and he worships the creation more than the creator. Every person knows about God. They claim to be an atheist. The Bible says they're lying. They deep down know there's a God. Now, look what they do here. Verse 5, they deliberately overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago And the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. Now look at verse 6. And that by means of these, the world that then existed, that's the pre, the anti-deluvian world. That means before the flood. It was different, very different than it is now. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. By the same word, the heavens and the earth now exist or stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. The Bible says the evidence is there. 270 stories globally about the flood. Geologically, it's there. But the Bible says of this they willingly are ignorant. My faith responds to what God's word says, even though I don't understand it. Now, God built this ark big enough for many, many inhabitants. It wasn't God's fault that only eight people came on board, just like it's not God's fault that people don't come to Christ today. And in John chapter 6, verse 37, we read these words, All that the Father gives me, Jesus says, will come to me, and whoever comes to me I'll never cast out. He would have never cast anyone out of the ark who had believed. He made it big enough. He made it wide enough. He made it stable enough. And he offered it, but it was his way by faith Did you come into the ark. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, we read these words. He, and you can go read 2 Peter this week about the judgments and so forth that have come upon the earth. 2 Peter 2, 5 says, If he did not spare the ancient world, that is the antediluvian. Anti is before diluvian. The flood, the great deluge. If he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others. When he brought a flood upon the waters of the ungodly. And he goes on and he talks about Sodom and Gomorrah. And he didn't spare Sodom and Gomorrah. But he got Lot out of Sodom and Gomorrah. And Lot's wife turned back and turned into a pillar of salt. And he, gives, he cites several judgments that were coming upon the earth. But most people feel God, fear God, obedience to God more than they fear judgment of God. But the Bible says just like he didn't spare the ancient world. But he saved those who believe the same is true today. Spurgeon said this, C.H. Spurgeon's an old preacher, I've got a book in my office, and I can't figure out when the actual printing was, but it was, the first printing of that book was in 1700s, no, I wasn't around then, Brian, he says this, here's what Spurgeon says, he who does not believe God will punish sin, a lot of people laugh at that, God's going to judge, nah, don't think so, I'm going to take my chances. I fear following God. I fear obedience more than I fear God's judgment. He who does not believe God will punish sin will not believe that he will pardon it through the atoning blood. Powerful, isn't it? It's true. If you don't believe you're a sinner and yet you are helpless, like we said at the beginning of this message today, you will never turn to Jesus Christ for the atoning blood. You will make up your own religion. You will make up your own God. You will make up your own way. But in the end, you will perish. Jesus made an ark big enough for everybody, but they had to believe what he said. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 37, we ask at the beginning of the message, do we fear obedience to God more than we fear judgment? Matthew 24, verses 37 to 39 says this, this, For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Judgment came. Judgment will come for those who don't know Jesus. Jesus is coming back. So will it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man, verse 38, for as in the days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Now, those are not bad things. He's just saying they're just going on about life Doing the usual routine things, not considering God's plan, not considering God's judgment, not considering believing God, not considering putting their faith and trust in him alone, and not doing the things he asked them to do. They were just going about life with their own plans, more concerned about their own plans than they were about the plans of God. Until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came Swept them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. It says they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. The third thing we know about faith this morning is my faith works to bring awareness. Firstly, my faith is invisible until my works bring it into sight. Secondly, my faith works in response to God's word. Thirdly, my faith works to bring awareness. If we really believe God, the Bible says that we will speak to people about about sin, about judgment, and about things to come. If I really believe God is going to do what he said he was going to do, just like Noah, I will be faithful. Because the Bible says that he also not only built an ark for 120 years, but he preached. And all the skeptics that came around and laughed at him as he was building deck number one, deck number two, and deck number three. Later, when the flood came, and I don't know how long it was, I don't know if it was when it first started raining, maybe some people got the message But then when it got up to their knees and up to their waist, and then they started knocking on the door of the ark, but it was too late. God had sealed the door of the ark. It was too late. Can't step out of this world and expect expect to step into heaven if you haven't transferred over into God's kingdom now. My faith works to bring awareness. Awareness of God. Awareness of God's plan that is bigger than mine. Awareness of obedience to God, which should trump my own desires. Now, Dustin and I were talking this week, every week, Brian and Dustin, we we bounce ideas off each other. I learned from these guys. We learned together. And we were saying, well, how, how do we hear from God? No word from God. I haven't heard anything from God. Now, how do we hear from God? Now, help me with this. I want some answers. What are some ways that we hear from God? Say it out loud. All right, we re- the Bible, the preaching of the word. The Bible says faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. There's podcasts, there's videocasts, there's all kinds of millions of messages that you can hear. How else does God speak to us? Remember, I'm hearing impaired, so say it real loud. Yeah, he we he speaks to our spirit, his spirit ministers to our spirit and tells us that we're sons of God. And he guides us. He directs us. He speaks to us, and he speaks primarily through his word, but his Holy Spirit speaks to us. He speaks to us through other believers. There's believers in this church that have spoken truth into my life and helped sharpen me and helped me realize some weaknesses in my leadership that, I, that I'm working on. God speaks to us through people. He speaks to us through his word. He speaks to us by his Holy Spirit. But that, the question is this. If you're not hearing God speak... If you're not listening to what he's already said in his word and through other people, how in the world do you expect to hear anything else? Why should he speak to you again if you're not doing what he's told you to do already? How does he speak to us? Well, oh, many ways. What if I'm not hearing him? Begin to listen to the things he's already said. Am I listening to wrong voices? Wrong voices crowd out the voice in our life sometime. The priorities and the principles, the moral values of our world that says, God says this, but we just don't believe that. My wife and I went to see a movie last night called Littlefoot. Anybody seen Littlefoot yet? If you got grandkids, it's a fun movie. But if you're an adult, you can read into political agendas of movies. There was a, the main character, like the, the godfather of the family clan, and they they were they were Yetis, right? Not the kind you drink out of. Bigfoot, okay? And they discovered Littlefoot. But this Yeti, the chief of the clan, he had on all these stones. And he said that they had rules and they were written in stone. Sound kind of familiar to you? And the challenge was that what if some of the stones were wrong? What if we discovered that the stones? The things that have been chiseled in stone were wrong, and they began to find out that some of the things chiseled in stone were wrong. And that's what society, and that's what some people in our country are telling us today: that the stones are wrong, that the, the landmarks that God has set up morally for us are wrong. And the challenge to believe God for the word that He has given us. A lot of Christians are listening to the wrong voices, They're not listening to the God of the creation, not listening to his word listening to that little voice inside of you that oftentimes is in contrast with the Holy Spirit is the flesh in your life that fights against God. My faith works to bring awareness. In, in our church, we're excited about things God's doing. I want the church to grow faster, okay? I'm praying for that. If we'll all just invite people to Jesus and invite people, come, we want to pay off this building. We want to owe $160,000 on over a million dollars worth of property. Be paid off in about three and a half years. I'm excited about that. That'll give us another $3,800 a month to support missionaries and missions and do the mission of our church. I'm excited about what God's doing. We're going to paint this worship center. We're trying to figure out when any of us, all of our leaders like you are just extremely busy. But we're trying to figure out time to paint this. Unless somebody just wants to help us just hire it painted. I don't know what God's plan is. we want to, to fix the outside of the building. That we got this brick and that brick and this brick and that big building. Why does it matter? It matters because when people come to this facility, we want them to see that we're committed to the God who cares about them. What if God's plans trumped my plans? My faith is invisible until my works bring it into sight. My faith works in response to God's word. My faith works to bring awareness. And lastly, my faith works to bring endurance. We've got to stop being Christian wimps. This this week, these last few weeks, we've seen... Somebody who I believe was a good, godly man just get trashed and despised. and I'm not going to get into the politics. But listen, folks, he weathered the storm, and now he's going to serve on our Supreme Court. We need to pray for all our Supreme Court justices. Whether you agree with them or not, you need to pray for them. But there had to be some sort of endurance. I, my wife and I were saying, I would not want to run for any political office for all the tea in China. My faith works to bring endurance. You've got to endure the storms in order to serve in the office that God's called you to. My faith works to bring endurance. Galatians 6, 9 says this. Let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Remember, we studied one of the first weeks that we believe God's a rewarder of those who trust him but we have to endure. We have to be strong. We have to endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. My faith brings endurance. Here's a quote I want you to write down. I want you to think about it all week long because we ask the question, what do you fear more, obedience to God or judgment? Here's a quote. My obedience is costly, but my disobedience costs far more. That family member of mine who said, I, I just wonder what I'll miss in my life. If I follow Jesus, I'll tell you what you'll miss. You'll miss you won't miss difficulties because you will have difficulties, but be of good cheer. God says, I've overcome the world. But you'll miss a lot of relational pain from relationships gone bad because you didn't follow God's plan for your life. You'll miss. You'll miss a lot of that. You'll miss drug abuse and sexual diseases. You'll miss a lot of things that a lot of people wish they had missed because they followed God, because they didn't follow God. What will I miss? You'll miss a lot of the hardships of this world if you follow Jesus. My obedience is costly, but my disobedience costs far more. Am I more afraid of obedience or judgment? As a next step today, wouldn't you write this down? By faith, I will work tirelessly in response to God's word. Simply, God's word. I will work tirelessly in response. As a response, work is a response. We believe God and he produces work in our life because we've believed in him he's counted us righteous and now he produces works in our life. I will work by faith I will work tirelessly in response to God's word. What if I was more concerned with God's plan than my own? What if what would happen? Well Jeremiah tells us the heart of God the book of Jeremiah God says, I know the plans that I have for you, plans for peace and success and prosperity. Not the prosperity gospel, but because you're walking with God and you know God and your life has purpose and meaning. I know the plans I have for you, thoughts of peace and of blessing because I love you. What if? What if there was no cost too great to pay because of the faith I have in Jesus Christ and in his grace in my life? God might be calling some of you to the mission field. He's definitely calling all of you to go across the street and tell somebody about Jesus. He might be calling your children to become missionaries. Are you willing for that? For them to go to Papua New Guinea or someplace like that to serve God with their life. beautiful surrender. Would you pray with me? There might be somebody here or listening to this message online that does not know Jesus Christ. You've you've thought that if I can just be good enough one day, uh Uh by grace through faith, cry out to God from your despair this morning, God save my soul, forgive me my sin. I trust Jesus. Christian, what is it that you're holding back? what is it that you're holding back because you're more afraid of surrender than of judgment? You're more afraid of obedience than judgment. God's been speaking about that bad relationship for a long time that you need to fix. God's been speaking about that bitterness that you refuse to forgive, and it's affecting you, and it's affecting your, your children and your family. He's been speaking to you about the way that you spend your money because you, you have no thought of God in all of your budget. He's been speaking to some of you about the moral life that you're living that doesn't line up with what you say you believe. Would you surrender completely to him today and trust him to do great things through your obedience because of your faith, because of his grace. Lord God, help us to do now what we'll be glad we've done when we stand before you in eternity. To obey is better than sacrifice. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you stand with us as we sing?